right. All right, well, I'm glad to see you here tonight. Uh, I love that song, Only a Holy God by City of Light. I like the line where it says, who else has a name that is undefeated? Right? Everyone will bow at the name of Jesus Christ. No one will be able to stand. Right? We serve a holy God. And speaking of holy, we're going to continue in Leviticus chapter 19. If you remember, the theme of the book of Leviticus is the Lord is holy. It's holiness. Tonight, we're going to talk about the Lord is holy. That was the title of last week. Tonight, it's the Lord is holy. Laws of separation. The Lord is holy. Laws of separation. Our text for tonight is found in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 19 to 32. So I would ask you to stand with me as we would pray. We would read from God's word and would hear what a holy God will say to us tonight. Father, we thank you that you are indeed holy. You're separate, completely different in every way. And yet you are, you, a holy God, bid us come near. You bid us come near through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, who takes our sins, though as scarlet, makes them as white as snow. What a great God you are. What God would offer his only Son, only a holy God. And we ask, Lord God, again tonight, that you would speak to us. That you would see what it is that you have for us as your treasured possession, your adopted children. How you would have us to live on this side of heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what God says, Leviticus 19, beginning in verse 19. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of materials. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave, assigned to another man, and yet not ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall, not, they shall not be put to death because she was not free. But he shall bring his compensation to the Lord, to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed. He shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat the flesh with blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. 
You shall stand up before the gray head and on the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourners with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have a just balance, just weights, a just even, and a just hint. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules, and do them. I am the Lord. So we're in the Lord. You may be seated. If you remember last week, we saw that there was a personal response, a spiritual response, and a communal response. Tonight, we'll have just two headings. I stole them right from Alan Ross and his commentary, uh, Holiness to the Lord, an exposition of the book of Leviticus. It's, these two points will be for tonight. God's people must conform to his holiness by keeping the distinctives and separation that he made. God's people must conform to his holiness by demonstrating kindness and justice to others. Those will be our two headings for tonight. Leviticus 19 says this, You shall keep my statutes. You shall keep, which means cause a state or condition to remain. You shall keep my statutes. A statute is a clear, communicated prescription of what one should do. A clear, communicated prescription of what one should do. God is clear here in how he commands his redeemed children to behave. His commands are clear, and the Bible tells us that God's commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. You ever feel like, oh, God, really, God, you're going to take that away too? Wrong attitude to have. God doesn't take away. Right? God may take away what is not good, but God only actually gives what's good, does he not? God only gives what is good. His commands are not burdensome. As we said, these are statutes, laws of separation. And so our first point is God's people must conform to his holiness by keeping the distinctives and separation that he made. The ones that God makes. The distinctions that God makes. We are not up uh, able to, well, we do, but we, we do not have the privilege to make our own distinctions. God alone has that privilege. God begins by stating that you shall keep these statutes. He gives three distinct statutes of the, a separation. He gives no reasons for them, by the way. He just says, you're to do them. I command it, you are to do it. I am the Lord. And the first has to do with livestock, and it's probably a statute for all domesticated animals. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. What's up with that? How does that pertain to you and I? Right? Aren't you glad that they make, uh, you know, somebody decided to put some cows together and come up with Angus beef? Like, thank God for that, right? Praise God, these laws are no longer 
in effect for us because if they were, I couldn't have my dogs because they're two different dogs, right? Gastinators, you couldn't have your dog either. Um, what's up with that? Well, again, God gives no reason as to why. And, and, and it is always safe where God does not give a reason. We shouldn't try to figure it out. But I like what R.K. Harrison says in his commentary, the Tyndale Old Testament commentary series. He says, the breeding of different kinds of cattle to enrich the bloodline and produce hybrid species was forbidden. And if you think about it, that does make sense because when God created the world, he made animals according to their kind. Right? He didn't say, well, I'm going to give this and this and let's mix them together and you know, have a hodgepodge of this and that. He said, this is there to be according to their kind. The second statute has to do with farming. It says, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seeds, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made with two kinds of materials. Again, no explanation is given for this command. It simply may be that God wanted them to practice cop ro uh, cop crop rotation. And, and crop rotation is something that farmers do to, to keep the soil healthy. They would rotate the cop, the cops, I'm going to continue to say that now, that's how my mind works. The crops, year after year, so they wouldn't deplete all the nutrients out of the soil, right? They, they didn't have fertilizers and things like we have today where you can continuously plant corn, right? I mean, they had manure. That would be the extent of their uh, 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 fertilization. Probably it's that God wanted them, because God knew what they did not yet know through science, right? Well, we know that through science. They didn't know it. So God said, just keep, don't, don't, right? Just plant apples. Keep an apple orchard, tomatoes, cucumbers, whatever. Don't mix cucumbers and tomatoes and all that stuff. Just don't do it. God says not to do it. The option is don't do it. Just don't do it. God doesn't have to give us a reason why. What did your parents maybe sometimes say to you as a kid? Because I said so. Right? You don't always like that answer, but when God says, because I said so, that's all we need to know. I am the Lord. He says, you shall not keep my statutes. You shall, not let your, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. You shall not wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. What? How do these things even relate? Makes no sense, right? To us, to our mind. Once again, God gives no reasoning for it. But there, however, may be a creation connection to all of these rules. Remember when God created the world, God made distinctions. Light and dark. Morning and evening. Male and female. Animals and man. God made distinctions. And perhaps it's within uh, 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 the separations uh, uh, designed by God kept order in the world. And perhaps God is saying, you're just to keep this order. We really don't know. It'd be pure speculation. But God says, don't do it. Now we can have 
rayon and cotton or whatever you have nowadays, right? Um, it's okay now. And in the middle of these agricultural laws, God places this statue. It says, if a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave, assigned to another man and not, ran and not yet ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death because she was not free. But he shall bring his compensation to the Lord, to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. Now clearly this statute is hard for us to understand in modern day America. It might even be in some ways outright repulsive to us. And again, it's odd that it's placed in the middle of these agricultural laws. What, why does God want this statute here? How is it a law of separation? Well, oftentimes, a slave was a foreigner. And it may be that's why this place in the statute of banning mixtures. Perhaps the most puzzling part for us, though, is the distinction that they are not to be put to death. Like, how did that even get in there? Well, God had previously said that if a woman is engaged to another man, betrothed would be the word, and she has sexual union with another man, they were to be put to death. This woman here is not betrothed. She's a slave. She's not free. And so God says the death penalty is not in play. Now, in our mind, our modern-day mind, we're going, that is just weird. That is who? That's just... The fact is, this is what God said. I wish I'd give you a better explanation, but don't, I, I can't find it. God said, don't do it. You're not to do this, and if this does happen, here's what you can do. There is a remedy for it. You can bring a ram for a sin offering... You have to compensate the woman. You have to compensate the woman for what was lost to her, her virginity. You have to compensate her owner. It actually brings a, a value to a woman. She's not just treated as nothing. Well, you used her and abused her and threw her away, and it's okay. That's not what God says at all. So God goes from this law about sex with a slave woman right back into agricultural laws. What it says, when you come into the land and plant a tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you, it must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy and offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. Well, again, here's where God's knowledge is greater than ours. When you first plant a tree, it takes a while for it to mature. When it's young, its fruit is probably not taste as good. God says here that within the fourth year is when it's going to be its best. The fourth year, the first fruits, that's mine. This is a law, actually, statute of first fruits. The law of first fruits, by the way, covers produce, animals, and children. Produce, animals, and children. 
Earlier in Exodus, he says this in Exodus 34, 34 verses 19 to 20. All that open the womb are mine. All your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. If you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborns of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. God says, three years, you get nothing. Fourth year, you give it to me. Fifth year, that it may increase for you. Notice the blessing that God puts on it when we wait and do what God says. In the fifth year, it's yours. And it will increase for you. These next group of statutes deal with abstaining from pagan practices. You shall not eat any flesh with blood in it. Now, I'm going to be honest. Holy mackerel, thank you, Jesus. This is not in play today. Because medium rare is the best way to eat steak. I'm telling you, that's like, I have to do that. I, Eric, not the Lord, tell you medium rare is the best way to eat steak. Um, but he said, you should not eat any flesh with blood in it. And God is dead serious about this. And it is a play of words. Dead serious about it. Remember what he said in Leviticus 17 about eating blood. Look what it says in 17 verses 10 to 11. If anyone, if anyone of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood. Here it is. I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Do you think God's serious about this command? Absolutely serious about it. For the, and he tells us why. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by your life. Say, this is serious stuff. This is what redeems you. This is what you bring to the altar. This is what makes everything, in essence, okay between me and you. Just for a moment. You're sacrificing, you put it on the altar, and it's what's going to make things at peace between you and I. You are not to take this blood for yourself. It belongs to God. As I said, thanks be to God, it's no longer in effect today. None of these laws are in because Jesus Christ has come and he's fulfilled the law. How does Jesus fulfill the law of not eating blood? Because Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. That's how. He says, you shall not interpret omens, verse 26, or tell fortunes. Of course, this is what the pagan people around them did. God warned them all along as they were going through the desert. He said, listen, don't look, don't look at these nations. Don't inquire about how they worship their God because then that's what you're going to want to do. You say, well, that's a neat. You know, so let's, you know, let's add this to the worship of God. And let's this. And, 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 and they would say, but you know what? God seems pretty silent right now. Let's go, uh, let's go see what the omens are. Or maybe we can have someone tell us a fortune. Because apparently God is incapable of telling us what to do. Simply not true. 
says, you shall not interpret omens or tell fortune. Now, of course, God is serious about this, because in other places, if somebody in the land of Israel was a fortune teller, they were to be what? Put to death. God didn't tolerate any of this. Verse 27 says, you shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. What's up with that? He didn't say cut, he didn't say don't cut your hair. Because Paul says in Corinthians, who is a Jew of all Jews, says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And it is. Um, but they were not to cut the hair at the temples. You know why the Jews have those long curls? The ones who are very uh, orthodox or Hasidic, they have it because they are taking this very liberally. They were not to mar the edges of their beards. The children of Israel were to be distinct from the other nations. And God said this is one of the ways in which they were to be distinct. And it, and it, you know, it matters how you kept your beard. If you remember when David sent to the, uh, oh, king, what's his name? Anyways, he sent, the king died, and he sent an envoy to the king's son with his condolences. And the king's son's friend said, Don't, David's not here for goodwill. He's here to spot the land and take it over. So they took David's envoy. It says they cut their, their, um, their tunics up from the back of the buttocks and they shaved off half their beard. And it says the men were disgraced. You don't play with your beard. You don't play with the side of your hair. Now, for some of you, that's not a problem whatsoever. I won't mention any names, John and Gabe. Um, <laughs> But you know what? Think about, think about this. Think about God and how merciful God is. God says you're not to cut the hair uh, uh, at your temples. Remember earlier you said if somebody's bald, they're bald. They're still acceptable. You don't have to have long hair to be accepted or long hair at the temples to be accepted to God. You don't have to have a beard to be accepted to God. The only acceptance we need is that of Jesus Christ. Here's one which is controversial for us even today. Verse 26, or it should be 28, I'm sorry. It says, you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Our minds should immediately go to Elisha on the mountain, Mount Carmel, with the prophets of Baal. Walking around and cutting themselves and, and crying out to God and, and, and doing some religious uh, activity which involved cutting yourselves or marking yourselves with the dead. He says, I am the Lord. Again, this was distinct. Is it wrong to have tattoos today? There's people here today with tattoos. Are you all a bunch of sinners and God cut you off? Absolutely not. It's not what it is at all. Verse 29 says this, Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute. Lest the land fall into prostitution, the land become full of depravity. This is one of the few statutes in which God gives the reasons to why he says this is in place. Most likely has to do with temple or cultic prostitution. Doesn't it bother you that God would actually have to say to people, 
don't profane your daughter by making her a prostitute. Sadly, this is needed as much today as it was back then. Sex trafficking. Horrible things being done to the women of our nation today. God says don't do it. The land will become full of the crabby. It was for all these things that these, these statutes that they broke that eventually God sent the Assyrians and God sent the Babylonians. <coughs> Verse 30 says this, You shall keep my status and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. I should have put that in this morning's message, huh? You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Listen, don't, don't do what the other people do. Don't worship how they do. Don't interpret omens or tell fortunes. Don't round off your hair or your temples. Mar the edges of your Don't cut yourself for the dead and mark yourselves for the dead. Don't profane your daughter in cultic prostitution. Keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And of course, by God saying, I am the Lord, he is distinguishing himself from every other being. As he says to the prophet Isaiah, I am the Lord, to whom shall you compare me? There is no other. There's only a holy God whose name is undefeated. Shall keep my Sabbath and remedies my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And then verse right away, verse 31. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. A medium would be like going to a psychic. A necromancer. Lord of the Rings should come to your mind. There's one who would call up the dead. The witch of Endor. Which Saul went to to call up the ghost of Samuel. He says, Do not seek them out. Why don't you seek out these things? Because God alone is your wisdom. God alone has the answer. Let God alone be the one who directs your life. It is not a small thing to look at a horoscope. It is a deeply wicked and evil thing to check your horoscope. I hope you don't. I pray that you don't. It may seem like such an innocent and small thing. It's not a small thing to use a Ouija board. Many of us maybe have in the past. It's not a small thing. It opens you up to the realm of the of, of spiritual realm, realm of wickedness. Do not go into it. Don't even bother with it. Don't play with it. Don't touch it. Don't make yourself unclean by that. Of course, God also said, if there's anybody who's a medium or a necromancer in the land, you are to what? Take them out and kill them. God did not want them in the land. I am the Lord. Reverence my sanctuary. Reverence my statues. I am the Lord. God is all that we need. We don't need help from the psychic. We don't need help from. Where does our help come from? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
The final set of laws have to do with our second point. God's people must conform to His holiness by demonstrating kindness and justice to others. Now here's a statute that I very particularly like. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man and shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You got, see, listen, you got it. You shall stand before the gray head. I don't know why you're all still sitting. Right? Actually, I would change it. If it was me, I would change it. You shall bow. But that's the wickedness of man. Right? So you're to honor the elderly in your society. We're a society, sadly, in America that does not do that. If you're going to treat with contempt the most vulnerable, which we do in the womb, and then the most vulnerable at the end of life, what kind of nation are we? Verse 33 to 34 say, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the change a stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You've got to remember where you were. You were the sojourner. You were the stranger in a foreign land. And so when somebody from a foreign land comes to you, you are to treat him as the native among you. Remember, God already said, hey, don't cut the edges of your field. It's for the poor and the sojourner. You don't make distinctions between how you treat people. God is, God is equitable. That's a catchword for today's society. God, God gets to decide what's equitable, not us. Treat people the way you should. Jesus, of course, founds this in the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And of course, he puts on this, I am the Lord, your God. Verses 35 and 37. You shall do no wrong in judgments. He had already previously said, listen, you know, in court, don't defer to the rich, to the great, and don't defer to the poor. Care about justice and justice only. He says, in measures of length or weight or quantity, you shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephod and a just king. I am the Lord your God. What were people prone to do? They would tip the scales. They wouldn't give a fair wage. They wouldn't give exactly what you were promised. What you bought, you didn't exactly get. That's certainly part of why Jesus went into the temple and overturned the tables, because they were robbing people. They were taking advantage of people. The Proverbs tell us that God hates what? Unjust weight. God says he hates an unjust weight. So be honest in your dealings, he says. Sign the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember, you were in a place where things were unjust against you. 
tail, the scales were not tipped in your favor. But I came, and I delivered you out. And my favor rests upon you. And as I treated you, so you should treat others. The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God said. We learned last week, he said. You shall observe all my statutes and my rules and do them. I am the Lord. Why do we want to obey God? Because he's the Lord. Because he said so. I know that seems like such a simplistic answer. Well, because God said so. He's God. It's good enough reason. But what is the lesson for us? How does this apply to us today in our Christian walk? Are we separating ourselves from the things of the world of which we should be separated from? We think we can mingle in the things of the world and have a little of this and a little of that, you know, and you know, a little bit of God and hope that God outweighs the other stuff? That God doesn't get tainted by the other stuff? What has he said all along that if I bring anything unclean, what? And I touch something unclean, then I myself become unclean. My offering can become unclean at times. principle we learned from Leviticus chapter 19, the second half, is that we are to also be separate. As Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says this, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. Have we gone out from the world? Are we separate from the world? We're in the world. But we're not to be of the world. Do not associate with somebody with sex in the world. I am not speaking of people of the world, but within the church. Are we separate? Are we different from the world? I'll end with what Alan Ross says in his book, Holiness to the Lord, a guide to the exposition of the book of Leviticus. God's people must conform to his holiness by keeping his commandments, the letter of the law. By dealing with others in love, the spirit of the law. By living according to his standards of separation in the world. And by demonstrating kindness and justice to others. May we be the people that God called us to be. May we be distinct from the world so that people will ask us. They'll either ask us, what's wrong with you? Or why are you different? And we can give an answer for the hope that was with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you fulfill all the law. Thank you, Lord God, that you have made a distinction. You've made a distinction between what we, what we, you made a distinction between us and your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus is accepted. And we thank you that we in the beloved are also accepted to you. And so Lord, help us to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. A life, live in a manner that is worthy of the calling that we have. Help us to be undefiled, as James says, and unstained from this world. 
For your word tells us that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Oh God, you've been our friend. You've held out the olive branch. Lord, may we embrace you. And may we never let go. May we do it for our benefit, for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The stands frozen song. <coughs>
Yeah.